hardest thing in the midst of a trial is knowing what to do when God seems silent. I'll say it again. The hardest thing in the midst of a trial is to know what to do is when God seems silent. Daniel has been praying at least three times a day for three weeks and the heavens are like brass. I don't know about you, but if you're like me at times, I'm praying and I feel I'm right at that throne of grace that we sang about. Lord, I come before your throne of grace. And other times I feel like the heavens are like brass. There seems to be no answer coming and I keep praying and at times you want to win. Sometimes you're ready to give up on praying for a certain person or a certain thing. In a circumstance that you find yourself in. Daniel is in captivity. Daniel now is probably about 84 years of age. He was a young boy of maybe around 14. When he was taken captive from Jerusalem. By Nebuchadnezzar in the early deportments of the house of Judah into Babylon. Seventy years have passed since that captivity. Seventy years have went into history. And Daniel has never failed to pray. Even when it's come to a time where he was commanded never to pray on certain days, but to worship other gods, Daniel still sought the face of the Lord. In opposition, he prayed. Whatever position he found himself in, he prayed. He kept pressing on, pressing through, and Daniel kept going. You see, brothers and sisters, if you're praying for certain people, if you're praying for certain things and certain events and storms of life and trials that come your way, when the heavens seem like brass and it seems that God is not answering Take courage this morning from this. That from the first moment you have set your face toward heaven. From the very first moment that you turned your heart toward God. He has heard you. And he knows where you are and he knows what you're against and he knows what you're facing. And whether that be a sickness, whether that be a fear, whether that be an anxiety, whether that be a worry... He knows all about it. He says here uh, through uh, Michael who comes to him, that archangel. says in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 12. Notice what it says. Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard but you didn't come for three weeks and I have sought you morning, noon and night and Daniel if you'd have given up maybe on the 20th day you hadn't prayed through I wonder Daniel would you have had the same answer to prayer don't be through praying brother Don't be through praying, sister, but rather pray through it. Don't be through praying, but pray 
through it. God has already heard your prayer. God has already seen that you are chasing your heart. In other words, you haven't allowed your heart to run away from him, but rather the heart to run to him, to run into him. We find that Daniel even captive from a young boy, from about 14 years of age. Now he's roughly about 84. And here we find 70 years of trial, captivity. He's brought down low to the lion's den one moment, and he's raised up the next. Before that, he is made as one of the chief princes in the land. Then there's a sudden fall, and we find this through his life. His life is in danger, and yet he keeps on keeping on. And he keeps praying, and he keeps in favor with God. And how does he do that? By simply knowing that he belongs to his heavenly Father. Now, if you're a child of God this morning, you belong to your heavenly Father. If you're washed in the blood of Christ this morning, you belong to your heavenly Father. If you've been to Calvary by faith and you're washed and cleansed and clothed with the righteousness of Christ, then you belong to your heavenly Father. And as soon as you turn your face to God, in spite of the things you're facing, despite the captivity that you think you're in, the feelings of the heart and of the mind, despite the battle that rages all around you, know this this morning, that you're still in favor with him. You're still in favor with God. Notice what Daniel in captivity is called, Daniel chapter 10 and verse 11. Then he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved. Old Daniel, a man greatly beloved. This isn't the first time that Daniel's heard this. Daniel chapter 9, verse 23. Notice this. It says, At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Here's a witness to Daniel's heart that the Lord still loved him in captivity. Here's a witness to Daniel's heart sitting by the river Hedekal, or it's the Tigris River. And here he is at a river in captivity where all other things are happening all around him. He's been in captivity with a life ups and downs and highs and lows for 70 years. He's seen blessings of God and cursings of man. He's been elevated and brought down low. And now he sits at the river. And he's called a man greatly beloved. He's also called it again in chapter 10 and verse 19. Chapter 10 and verse 19 it says, O man greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. 
Brothers and sisters, this morning, those of us who are found in Christ, listen, here three times, maybe you've come in this morning, you've felt and thought certain things, or maybe others have said, well, if you've been through this sort of trial, or this has happened to you, maybe God is angry with you, doesn't love you anymore, and he's going to forget you. Listen, even in captivity and all that is happening, Daniel is still loved. And you are still loved by your heavenly father. God loves me. Don't ask me why. Don't ask me why God loves a man like me, a sinner saved by grace. Don't ask me why he ever loved me or what he ever thought in me of me. Why he would look upon me. Even as the psalmist said, he said, when I consider thy heavens and the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou should think upon him? Or oh, even David, the great king and the psalmist, he says, Lord, why me? Why me? Friends, we know not why me, but this is what we do know. He still loves us. He loves us. And he loved you before you loved him. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Oh, friend, if we could grasp this morning whatever you're thinking, the great love of God shown in the person of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, No greater love of a man than this that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And you and I can find no greater love. I love my family. My wife and children are my world, as we say. But I love him first. But I can tell you something. He loves my family. And I want them to love him first. He loves you this morning. Oh, he says, you're a man greatly beloved. You're a woman greatly beloved. Verse 19, fear not. People full of fear. Year 2017, it's a modern era. And we are hearing of wars and rumors of wars in the Middle East. United States sending in missiles into Syria and Russia coming now with their warships into the Mediterranean Sea to to stand off the United States and everyone's talking of World War III. Oh yes, it's going to happen sometime. But I can tell you something. This word tells us if we're redeemed, that we love to proclaim it, if we're redeemed through the blood of the Lamb. This Bible tells me not to be afraid nor worried, but to Look up and lift up your head for your redemption draweth nigh. Oh, he says, fear not in a world of fear and anguish. Fear not, he says, Daniel. Even in your captivity, what you're you're, you're against in your own life and coming against you, he says, fear not. I'm going to the doctors. I'm going to the hospital. Fear not. He says, for I'm with you. Will someone take courage this morning? He wants you to have not only not fear, but secondly, he wants you to have peace. Peace, it's the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Peace I leave with you. 
My peace give I unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid, said the Savior. You know, you can have peace. There's many Christians have peace with God. At the cross of Calvary, when we come to saving faith in Christ, we have made our peace with God. We're at peace with Him. But only through knowing His Word, and only through fellowship and relationship and obedience do we have the peace of God. The peace of God in our hearts and the peace of God in our lives. The peace of God in our minds. For he will keep thee in perfect peace whose mind is stead on him. He says this peace isn't like the world's peace. Oh, we'll make peace treaties. And we'll march up the storm and and do peace treaties up there. And then by the next few months they're broken again. And we'll go to the Middle East and into Jerusalem and there'll be peace treaties and there'll be Camp Davids and there'll be all sorts of peace treaties around the world. But then they're broken by man. But this peace treaty of the cross of Calvary is never broken. It's never broken. Oh, when Christ came and shed his most precious blood for us, he said, I love you. Fear not. Peace. Be upon you. When that death dew lies cold on our brow. When that death dew lies cold on your brow. There's one thing we need to have at that moment. Before we take our final breath and before our heart beats its last. Old Spurgeon said... It's in four words on his deathbed. Christ died for me. Christ died for me. Brothers and sisters, when I pass into that realm, when you pass into that realm, can you say, Lord, I'm at peace. I've followed you. I've trusted you. I've made peace with you, but I've got the peace of God that the great shepherd of the sheep will come. And you can say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You see, he says, fear not, peace be unto thee. Notice this. Thirdly, he says, be strong. Be strong. Lord, you haven't answered for such a long time. Lord, you haven't answered. I've been knocking at heaven's door. And there's no answer. I've been rapping heaven's door. But there's no answer. It's not opening unto me, Lord. One old Puritan says, when Jesus says, I am the door, he says this in reply, to those who have been in prayer for such a long time and finding no answer, he says, ah, well be it you say, long time have we rapped and been rapping at the door, but knowest thou this, 
knowest that you're rapping at the right door. You are rapping at the right door, for Christ is our door. What about Christ rapping at your door? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You know, whenever we preach that, and whether it's an open air or gospel meetings, and that's fine, but he doesn't write that letter nor say that to the unsaved. He says it to the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. The Laodicean church is the church he is before his return, so we are living in it. The church that's neither cold nor hot, refreshingly cold or passionately hot, hot for him, but lukewarm. Lukewarm water f- f- used to flow down the mountain. And they had it channeled off in Laodicea, the, the town of Laodicea. They had it channeled off, and as it came through, it was cold in the mountains. And by the time it it would flow down in the sun and the time they had it channeled off, when they got it, it was undrinkable for it was lukewarm. It would have made you sick. It wasn't refreshing. Yet it wasn't warm enough that they could bathe in it and be cleansed in it. They still had to put it on fires and, and heat the water. And Christ looks at this water in Laodicea and he, he sees the church there, but he sees the church age before his return. And he says, it's, it's lukewarm, you see. It's neither refreshing nor is it passionately hot for me. Oh, he says, it makes me sick. Then he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and will open the door, I will come in with him and sup with him. And he with me. Oh, Christ is knocking at doors. And yet we keep him outside for, Lord, when you come in and start speaking to me, oh, we love the strength of it, but you start to deal with me. You start to hit me with truths. You start to pierce my heart with the sharp two-edged sword of the word of God. You start to challenge me, and we don't like challenge. Enough, Jesus. I can hear you through the door because it's a muffled sound, but I know you're there. So here we have, he says, be strong. Will you take the word this morning and be strong? Be strong for Christ. Be strong in faith. Be strong in the workplace and in your home. Be strong. Take our stand in a world that's falling away. In a world that's going to hell. Be strong in your school. Be strong in university. Be strong where you are and everywhere you go. Be strong, yea, be strong. Notice it's a double mention and it gives the idea, be strong, be strong, be very, very strong. Oh, but you know, if we offend, brothers and sisters, we don't mean to offend, but we're going to. I'd rather offend man than offend God. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened, he says, And said, let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. So Daniel here, 
Daniel here is the man with favour of God. He's loved. That's you this morning. He's a man whom God says, even though you're going through trial, it matters not who you think I am to you. Yes, God may chasten us at times. But one thing we know is this. He still loves us at all times. Abraham was called the friend of God and was tried to sacrifice his son, his only son Isaac, whom he loved. Isaac was the man, we're told, and Isaac shall thy seed be called. Yet he was the one who was laid down upon the altar. He was the sacrifice. Jacob, who was then called Israel, the old twister, now a prince ruling with God, he was tried many times, thinking his his son Joseph had died for many years. Yet God had a, a perfect plan. Moses, the man of the law, he was tried to the point where even God took him to bury him. And we read of the same Michael who's in the book of Daniel here. In the book of Jude, he's contending with the devil over the body of Moses. Do you know why? Because the the Israelites would have set an altar up and they would have set an idol up and they would have worshipped around the law. They would have worshipped around Moses' dead body. God doesn't want us to worship around idols and other things. He wants us to worship him. And so when Michael is in the book of Jude, arguing over, disputing over the body of Moses, it's not that who's going to bury him. He's already buried. It's believed that Michael is defending the burial place of Moses. That the devil could not show it up for an idol to be formed. Oh, brothers and sisters, how easy is it for us to allow the body of Moses in our lives to to be exhumed? Uh, That the idol and the idolatrous practices can come out of us. Even the idols of our own family. Here we're told Moses went through much, yet God still loved him. David, a man after God's own heart, yet look at the Psalms and the things that he went through. The ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, the disappointments, the disillusionments. All their trials and the temptations that they went through. Yet Daniel is a man still greatly beloved. The word beloved here is a word komad. Komad. It means... uh, delectable thing so the Lord is saying Daniel you're a delectable thing Daniel's a rotten old sinner Daniel is a a man of prayer yes but he's still a man of flesh Daniel's still a man and at the very best the best of men are men at their best that's all we are Daniel is just a man, but yet when God sees him, he calls him a delectable thing. It also means this. He's a man of desires. The beloved, the man of desires. Verse 2, 
it says this. In those days I was mourning three full weeks. Verse 3, I ate no pleasant bread. Now notice this. The word pleasant here is the word kamad. It's the exact same word for beloved. Daniel says, I didn't eat any delectable bread or delectable foods. It means here that Daniel is telling us that he didn't eat anything of his own desires. He was so in mourning over something that it was a desire that the, the mourning was taking over. He had a greater concern. There was something else in his heart and mind that was even more important to him than eating the things that he really, really liked. Doing the things that we really, really do. Our delectable bread. Our pleasant bread and our pleasant feeding. The things that the world has to offer us and the things that we love the most that take over our heart and we find that that becomes the idol of our heart. Daniel says, I ate no pleasant bread, no delectable thing, no bread of desires. Notice what he says here again in verse 3. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all. I wasn't refreshed with the, they poured oil on their heads to anoint themselves. It refreshed them. It was a a form also of of cleansing or even healing. And Daniel says, none of it, none of it came near me. I, 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 I said, I was just dirty. And yes, I was hungry. But I was pursuing after God. Daniel isn't saying I went on a slim fast diet here. Daniel says, Even my flesh, the desires of my flesh, the old man of me was dying because something of Christ was living in me. Daniel was a man with an excellent spirit, we're told. The spirit of God came on Daniel. Oh, brothers and sisters, how... We love our delectables. How we have our desires. Daniel's desire was for the things of God. The spiritual things of God. And the perishable things of this world meant very little to him. And he set his face to seek God three full weeks. Yet the heavens are like brass. Lord, where are you? You know, Job 23 and 12 tells us, Job says, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. You see, we have the quick fix world today, the here and the now, and that's what we love the best. But notice this, 1 John 2 and 15, listen to the Lord, or pardon me, John says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And it means to draw the love out of the heart because of the preciousness of the thing that is loved. 
And, and the world draws the love out of our hearts. We love to do this and we love to do that and we love to have this and we love to have that and we love it our way and we love it when we're answered, uh, our prayers are answered exactly the way we want them and, and we think they should be answered. Then we get, we get disappointed when they're not. And the, the world draws the love out of our hearts. It calls the love out of us. And it becomes the idol and it, it's enthroned in the throne of Christ in our heart. And the hymn writer, the old poet says, The greatest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. Jesus says, if we love the word that's called out of our hearts, the love of the Father, the love that's called out of our hearts for the Father isn't there. We live in a world where everything goes. We live in a, uh, this church age where Everything's permitted. Everything's permitted by man. But it's not permitted by God. So, when the Lord says, love not the world, listen to what Archbishop Trench said in the Zeitgeist. Listen to this. All that floating mass of thoughts, opinions, maxims, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, aspirations at any time current in the world. That's the world Christ speaks of, or John speaks of. Everything to do with this world. I mean, it means everything. The world's whole system. He says, don't let it call your love out. He says, but let your heart be in love with me, he says. What a challenge. Three weeks later, at least three times a day, Daniel is praying and there's no answer. And he prays until there's a breakthrough. Verse 1 says it is in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. Notice, in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. I'm going to wrap this up now to show you why I said this line is important. It's important because this is very apt for what is happening even for time scale. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, and the thing was true. What is this thing? The third year of the king of, of, of Cyrus, the king of Persia, was probably, it's thought, the second year from the decree of Cyrus, the king of Persia. So Cyrus makes a decree to allow the Jews in Babylon to go back to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And so it's very apt here because after this period of time, one thinks then, well, by now the temple must be well underway. It must be built. Construction is being made. And we find that Daniel hears it isn't. He's an old man and he wants to see the Lord loved and revered and worshipped again. 
And it's not. There's nothing happening. That's why he was mourning, brothers and sisters. He wasn't mourning for what he was going through. He wasn't mourning for what he has came through. He wasn't mourning because he felt alone by the river Hedekal. No, he was mourning for what wasn't happening, which was meant to be happening at God's house. It wasn't happening. If you turn with me to Ezra, chapter 4, just as we round this up for you. Ezra chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin, Judah and Benjamin comprised the southern kingdom of Israel whenever the ten tribes were in the north and carried away captive. Judah and Benjamin then later, about 120 years, were carried into Babylon. Now they're released and, and about In total, there's about 40,000 of them all at the end of it all. 49,000, I think it is, come out of Babylon. And the rest stay in Babylon. That's when we read of Esther and Mordecai. And we we read of them going to kill the Jews there with Haman. And all that story in the book of Esther. They stay there. But here they're released. And Ezra is coming to rebuild the temple. You go into Nehemiah next. And Nehemiah starts to build the walls. You know, he's there now building. And Daniel, he stays in Babylon. He stays in Babylon. And here's the important thing about this. Judah and Benjamin are the only two, and some of Levi are mentioned later as well. They're the only two tribes that seem to be around this place. And it says, They heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel. They came to Zerubbabel, to to the chief of the fathers, and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Ezra Haddon, king of Asher, which brought us up thither. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God. But we ourselves together, we will build the Lord God of Israel as king Sars. King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. Then the people of the land, notice, weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. What happens here is they say, we want to build with you. The ungodly are coming into the church. The world is coming into the church and they're saying, we'll build it, but we'll build it and and we'll water down your worship. And we'll water down your church going. And we'll come and we'll put worldliness into your church. And here, those from Judah and Benjamin, the Jews are saying, no, 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 you're not part of us. We're building a, a work for God here. And so what happens is because they wouldn't become worldly, Because they wouldn't be like the world. Because he wouldn't allow them to come in. They started to oppose them. And work virtually ground to a halt. Now Daniel is in Babylon. And he says, Lord, your church is grinding to a halt. People are trying to oppose us. And he starts mourning over the lack of. Starts to mourn. Three full 
thinking. I can't settle. I have no peace, Lord, till I see you glorified again in the church. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Oh, where do we fail, brothers and sisters? Where are we as the church, the blood-washed church? Where are we feeling that the world is in the church? Rather the church get into the world to make the world like the church. The world is now making the church like the world. This is your last scripture. If you'll turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah 29. Time is flowing. Jeremiah 29. Before they were carried away captive, before all of this happened, the enemy's coming at the gate. And the Lord says, look, trust me, you're going to be carried away because there was sin. He needed to get rid of sin. You need to deal with sin in the church. We need to deal with the things that are happening. We need to start having sanctification again. We need to be walking holiness of life again. This doesn't mean to say we have to walk and afraid to look out the side of our eyes, just loving Christ and being right before him. And notice this, what it says here in verse 10, Jeremiah 29, verse 10, For thus saith the Lord, that after, notice the, ter- the, the, the time here, 70 years be accomplished at Babylon. I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. Do you notice that? Now, when you go home, you read Daniel chapter 9. I haven't time to go into it because time is gone. Daniel chapter 9. And Daniel is, he's repenting of sin For those who are in Babylon, for those who are in Jerusalem, for those who are in in all the countries where the Lord uh, has scattered them, and then the Lord sends the angel to give them what's known as the Daniel uh, uh, Daniel 70-week prophecy. But what is he reading? You read Daniel chapter 9 when you go home, he says, he learned from reading books. What was the book? The book of Jeremiah. So Daniel is, uh, Daniel's starting to read the book of the scroll of Jeremiah. And he reads here where we have da- Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. 10 and 11 he says, For I know the thoughts I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you expected end. Then shall you call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me. And I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all of your heart. And I will be found of you. And I will turn away your captivity. Notice here the Lord is saying it. After 70 years he says, read my word. Here's the promise. Brothers and sisters, when God gives us something in our word, we just don't say, well there you are, we have got it, now you're going to perform it. Yes, he may and he will. But what we do is we pray into it. We pray over it. We think about it. We live upon it. And let it reside in our hearts. And when the heavens are like brass, we say, Lord, your word told me. Your word says, O God. 
After 70 years, Daniel's reading it and he sees, here, hold on, the 70 years are up. The 70 years are up and he starts seeking God and the heavens are like brass and the heavens are like brass and the heavens are like brass over and over and over again. The heavens are like brass. Then suddenly the Lord just, he shows up. He says, see from the very first moment you turned your face to me. I perform my word. You shall seek me and you shall find me. That's when you search for me with all of your heart. And I will be found of you. Daniel says, Lord, thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. I wonder... Has this spoken to some of our hearts to tell us to not fear, to be at peace and be strong, to take the word and live with it and watch God perform it in our lives. God bless you.